It's that time again, the Chiefs Zone Podcast. I'm Farzi Vasuki and here with you for another episode of the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Thank you guys all for downloading and listening to the podcast. As always, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and Google Play. Share with a buddy to let them know about the Chiefs Zone Podcast. Interact with me on social media, facebook.com slash farzivasugian, twitter.com slash farzine21 on the tweet machine. You guys can follow me or email me rather. Uh, send me an email, farzine at farzivasugian.com. Dot com. A reminder, there will not be a Facebook Live during halftime nor after the game because I'll be on a flight back. So uh, I'll be watching I'll be watching the game while flying back from beautiful Cancun, which will be a lot of fun. Uh, and then I'll, I'll, I'll get Wi-Fi while I'm on the plane just so I can comment with you guys during the game. But uh, this is going to be an interesting one. I mean, look, everything Cantity's gone through and... The help they've been given, and I'll get to that in a moment, Kansas City's got every help that they're getting, even during this losing streak right now. And the Chiefs are kind of fortunate to be still leading the division right now. We'll get into all of that in just a moment. Of course, our preview, the Chiefs and the Broncos, Monday Night Football. These two always have a lot of epic games when they go head to head. I know the last meeting on a Sunday Night Football on Christmas night wasn't as epic. Kansas City just completely demolished the Broncos in that football game, but there was that epic moment where Dontari Poe, now at the Falcons, threw that nice touchdown pass to Demetrius Harris. So, uh, there's always something big that happens in these games between these two teams, and uh, of course, the NFL wants to see these two teams go head to head on primetime football. And again, keep in mind, they did schedule these two teams to face each other in week 17, so the possibility of these two teams meeting on Sunday night football definitely not out of the question. You never know. So, if Kansas City slips here and there and Denver gains some control and catches up in the division, and if these two teams are fighting for the final spot and the winner of the AFC West would advance to the playoffs, you bet that that the NFL is going to want to flex this game to Sunday Sunday night football. Excuse me. So the, these two teams are I mean, the NFL always wants to put the best games on primetime, and they also want to have the best possible matchups too. And you can tell when they put these two teams to go head to head in Week 17. Part of it had to do with the fact that maybe if things go well for both teams, maybe these two teams fight for a final spot, maybe fight for the top spot in the division. So let's schedule them for Week 17 and see if they are a viable candidate to push to Sunday Night Football. So very, very intriguing every time these two teams go head-to-head, and it's good to see the NFL be able to think that way about the Chiefs. Already giving them six primetime games this season, and this is going to be the fifth one of the very early year for Kansas City. Kansas City's gotten a lot of early game, early primetime games this year. It is the fourth this month. There is going to be one more, and that is going to be the Saturday night game. That'll be at home against the Chargers. But for right now, the Kansas City Chiefs, boy, are the football gods looking over the Chiefs or what? Because this Chiefs team, even during the the two-game losing streak, back-to-back weeks, you could technically say that they were in the same week because they were five days apart, losing to the Steelers and losing to the Raiders. And Look, losing sucks no, no matter how you lose, but when you look at how the Chiefs lost, they lost to the Steelers because they were incredibly inconsistent. They did nothing 
for the first three and a half quarters, they started to catch up late in the game. They finally started moving the football. And then, of course, the Steelers, the the difference maker was Philip Gaines not being able to come away with that interception. And on a lucky pass deflection, uh, Antonio Brown comes away with a, a catch and runs all the way to the end zone. And then, of course, last week, Kansas City uh, giving the referees every reason to throw a flag and allowing the Raiders to have nine lives, essentially, with no time left on the clock to eventually get to the end zone. So uh, it's a rough way how Kansas City's lost their last two games. And I think part of it also has to do with who they've lost to. Well, the Steelers, they've always had Kansas City's number, and that's always been frustrating. The Raiders, look, that's your that's your biggest rival, your longtime Going back to the American Football League days, a longtime rival, and that is how you lose and drop a game and have your winning streak in the division of 12 games snapped like that. So, very tough break for the Chiefs in this one. Hopefully, they can get a new winning streak going, not just for the record this year, but also against the division. Look, winning your divisional games, those always lead to success, and... Sure, Kansas City needed help with the Raiders falling, Derek Carr getting hurt, but going 6-0 in your division, generally that'll help you win your division. Now the Chiefs, again, like I said, need a little bit of help there, but everything fell into place and the Chiefs got what they needed and winning those division games certainly made an impact in allowing them to win the AFC West for the first time since 2010. So moving on now, the Chiefs, Getting ready to face the Denver Broncos, who are coming off two crazy losses. They they lost to the Giants on Sunday Night Football a couple of weeks ago, allowing them to pick up their first win of the season. And then they lost to the Chargers last week, shut out 21-0. And, by the way, the Chargers, they got their first win of the season against the Giants. So, Denver's had two brutal losses. They also lost to the Buffalo Bills earlier this year. They've dropped three of their last four games. And if you look at Trevor Simeon and how he's played and the games that the Broncos have won and the games that they've lost, you'll notice there's a correlation there. And his his performance is going to play a vital role in who wins this game and who loses this game. Let's get right into it. Kansas City's defense going up against this Broncos offense. Look, this is the uh, this is the average offense, ranked fifteenth in total offense, fifteenth in passing, fifteenth in rushing, not fifteenth in scoring though. They're twenty fourth in scoring with eighteen points per game. So certainly not an offense. That's threatening by all means. And when you look at Trevor Simeon's numbers, they are not great at all. Eight touchdowns, seven interceptions, 1,471 yards. He threw six touchdowns and two interceptions in the first two games of the season over the Chargers. That was, of course, the final game of Week 1 on Monday night. And also picking up a win over the Dallas Cowboys. So again, six touchdowns, two picks in the first two games. Great start for Trevor Simeon. Since then, he's thrown five interceptions, just two touchdowns in the last four games, which has translated to Denver dropping three of four games, only beating Oakland 16-10 in that game. So Trevor Simeon's performance in this game is going to have a big hand 
and how the Broncos do. And let's not forget one thing with the Broncos. They're not very good with their offensive line. Very similar to Kansas City's offensive line. Simeon has been sacked 22 times this year. That is tied for third most in the league. So this is a great opportunity for Kansas City's front seven to do what it did earlier in the season against teams like New England, teams like Philadelphia, and put pressure on the quarterback and, and do what it's done in previous years and, and give that defense a great day. Let this defense go off and, and let it be known for what they've been known for for the past few years. And this year, of course, is the complete opposite for this defense. Ranked 30th in total defense, 28th. Against the pass, 25th in stopping the run. Generally, the Chiefs haven't been great in stopping the run, but always one of the better teams against the pass, and they're letting teams put up points on the scoreboard. Just This Chiefs team generally has not allowed. They've always been a bend-don't-break. Now, they haven't allowed a lot of yards either in a lot of these years, but they've always done a good job of holding teams away from the end zone, and now you're seeing teams... Turn this bend, don't break defense into just a bad defense now. When you're allowing these points, uh, when your red zone defense can't come through, that is when things start to fall apart. And that's a big reason why the Chiefs have lost two games in a row. Now looking at what Trevor Simeon has around him, looking at the rushing attack, which was held in check against the Chargers last week. 19 carries for 69 yards. C.J. Anderson ran it 10 times for 44 yards. Jamal Charles got it just four times for two yards. But overall on the year, Anderson and Charles have been solid together. The pretty good one-two punch. Anderson, he's averaging 4.3 yards per carry, while Charles is at 4.7. And of course, Jamal Charles, he owns the record for most rushing yards in Chiefs history, surpassing Priest Holmes and Larry Johnson, who was right behind Priest Holmes. Uh, and this is, of course, the first time Jamal Charles will be facing the Kansas City Chiefs, the team that he has spent his entire career with up until 2017. And it's going to be interesting. It, it, there, there's always a storyline there when guys face their former team in any sport. So it's going to be interesting to see how Jamal Charles does in, in, in this game, whether he, he wants to come back to Arrowhead kind of with a chip on his shoulder. Because And look, maybe he doesn't have a lot to prove to this Chiefs team because keep in mind, John Dorsey was let go during the offseason. So maybe he doesn't have as much animosity towards uh, the Chiefs right now considering whoever let him go is also gone. But at the same time, this is still the same team. It, it, it's, it's a franchise. The name Chiefs is still there and the, the Chiefs at the end of the day let him go. So... It'll be interesting to see how he reacts when he comes to Arrowhead and gets the football in his hands. Looking at the passing attack, Demarius Thomas leads the team with 30 catches for 389 yards, but has yet to score a touchdown this season. Generally does well at Arrowhead. Has 100-plus yards receiving and a touchdown in four of the past five meetings at Arrowhead Stadium against the Chiefs. Emmanuel Sanders second on the team with 25 catches and 266 yards, plus a pair of touchdowns to go with his season stats. Benny Fowler also has two touchdowns. Fowler, by the way, was the guy who torched Philip Gaines in that Sunday night game last year, which the Chiefs found a way to overcome that and forced overtime. And if you remember, Trevor Simeon found Fowler open one more time, also torching Philip Gaines. Had the football right at the four-yard line. All he had to do was walk it in the end zone, but he dropped it 
And the Broncos were forced to kick one of the longest field goals ever attempted in NFL history. And that gave the Chiefs great field position to try to win the football game. So Benny Fowler, also a guy to keep out, keep an eye out for. Two touchdowns on the season. Tight ends, A.J. Derby, Virgil Green, both below average tight ends. I mentioned the offensive line, not very good, allowing 22 sacks on the season. And again, that is tied for third most in the league. It's a great opportunity for this Chiefs front seven to really just go off and have the game that they want to have. Chris Jones has been quiet for a while. Justin Houston hasn't done a whole lot lately. Hopefully Bob Sutton, the defensive coordinator, can formulate a good game plan because this is a great opportunity not just to bounce back and win, but also make a statement on defense. Go off on this Broncos average offense. They're not great. They're not gonna they're not gonna light it up on the scoreboard unless you let them. And look, Denver's offense isn't great. Kansas City's defense isn't great. So something's got to give here. One of these two departments are going to have a good game and the other's not. So it's going to be interesting to see how the Chiefs are going to try to handle this. And you know the Chiefs have playmakers on this defense. And as do the Broncos. That should not be taken away. But considering how Trevor Simeon has played this season, especially lately in the last four games, I read the numbers, five picks and just two interceptions. That is going to be the deciding factor. And with that offensive line not doing too good, you cannot put Justin Houston in coverage. Don't have Justin Houston defending Demarius Thomas or or Emmanuel Sanders or or A.J. Derby. Have him go after Trevor Simeon. That's the only guy Justin Houston should be focusing on. And that will make a huge difference and go a long way for the Kansas City Chiefs in this football game. And speaking of Justin Houston, he had three sacks in one of the meetings last year against the Broncos. Generally does well against Denver. Eight sacks, four pass deflections, and two forced fumbles in the last four meetings between the Chiefs and the Broncos. Terrence Mitchell, by the way, I know he hasn't had a great year when it comes to coverage, but ties fourth in the league in pass deflections, which certainly goes for something. And anytime you're able to get a hand up and not allow a receiver to come away with a completion, you always take that when you can. Again, I'll say it again, 30th in total defense, 28th against the pass, 25th in stopping the run. Certainly not numbers that you want to hear, but there's a chance Kansas City could slightly improve on those numbers after this football game. That offensive line, not doing very good. Trevor Simeon, not doing very good. So Kansas City's front seven has got to step up and make a difference. And if Kansas City's front seven can have a great game and give Simeon a lot of problems throughout the night then this is going to bode well for Kansas City's defense. And the offense, all they've got to do is put up maybe 20, 25 points on the scoreboard. And this often, next thing you know, Kansas City could have a solid lead going into the fourth quarter. And all they've got to do is just hold on and finish the game off. And they'll have a win going into the midway point of the season. Speaking of the Chiefs offense, if you want them to score 20, 25 points to put the game away, I'll tell you what, that is kind of a tall order against this Broncos uh, defense. Ranked first in total defense, sixth against the pass, and second in stopping the run. They're ninth in points allowed with 19.7 points per game. Looking at some of the defensive stars for the Broncos this year, some you may be very familiar with. A couple... New faces here and there that you may not know about. Uh, Of course, everyone knows about Von Miller. Seventh in sacks. 
and he's got seven on the season. He had two last week against the Chargers in that shutout loss for the Broncos. Defensive tackle Shelby Harris, one of the better defensive tackles this year, has two sacks, also a block, and constantly is beating interior offensive linemen, which kind of bodes that bodes well for him, but bad news for Kansas City's offense because this offensive line hasn't been very good protecting Alex Smith this season. And by the way, Adam Gutsis has the other block this year for Denver. Denver's got two blocks on the season. Quarterbacks, some names you're familiar with, some not so much. Of course, you've got Aqib Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr., the former Kansas Jayhawks, plus Bradley Roby, who was drafted in the first round a couple of years ago for the Broncos. Each of those three guys have one interception. Tlaib took one back 103 yards for a touchdown. You may remember Tlaib in 2007 when he was with the Jayhawks in his final year in Lawrence. He had a 100-yard return for a touchdown off an interception against Florida International. He also had the 60-yard interception touchdown for a return against Virginia Tech in the Orange Bowl. The glory days for KU football, as I like to say. And a little spoiler alert, we will talk KU football a little bit later on in our closing segments. But... Nonetheless, uh, you look at this defense and everything they've got. A lot of great players all around uh, on the front seven and the secondary. This this Broncos defense has always been known to be very good, be one of the best in the league. Alex Smith, second in passing yards, while Kareem Hunt leads the league in rushing. So you've got the number one ranked defense when it comes to just total yards allowed. So how does this Broncos defense, if I'm looking from a Broncos perspective, how does this Broncos defense stop Alex Smith, who's having a red-hot year, and Kareem Hunt, who's also having a phenomenal rookie season? Second in passing yards, number one in rushing. And I will say, Le'Veon Bell, Todd Gurley closing the gap, but I digress. And then you want to look at it from the other side. Alex Smith, he's second in passing. Arjun Kareem Hunt leading the league. How do they prepare for for a defense like Denver? In the top six in total defense against the pass and against the rush. And a top ten scoring defense. So this is not going to be easy for the Kansas City Chiefs. As great as Alex Smith and Kareem Hunt have been, this is going to be their toughest test this year. And I know even in the games that Kareem Hunt hasn't had 100 rushing yards, he's had at least more than 100 yards uh, from from scrimmage because of his ability to come through in the passing game. And we know Andy Reid loves to use running backs as pass catchers. And very active, too. Look, Smith's coming off a great game with Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey. They also did great last week. Albert Wilson came through with some luck uh, and also some awareness on that tip deflection, uh, taking it for a touchdown. So Alex Smith did a great job distributing the football last week. Three different players scoring touchdowns for the Chiefs and passes thrown from Alex Smith. But at the end of the day, that Raiders defense and this Broncos defense, two totally different defenses. And this is going to be a tough test for Kansas City. It's going to come... You want to talk about Kansas City's offense against Denver's defense? That is a very intriguing matchup. And if I'm a guy with no rooting rooting interest in this game, I'm enjoying this matchup head-to-head. If I'm a fan of one of these two teams, obviously, of course, the Chiefs, I'm a little nervous. It kind of makes you 
weary as to what could happen in this game. Same thing when you look at the other side with the Chiefs on defense and the Broncos on offense. Kansas City's defense hasn't been great, but Trevor Simeon has been very poor lately, and maybe Trevor Simeon picks it up against this bad defense. Maybe this bad defense finds a way to get through the offensive line and constantly put pressure on Trevor Simeon. So this is a this is a game where you look at the head-to-head matchups on, on both sides of the fence, something's got to give. And whatever gives will essentially be the difference maker in the game and could determine the, the winner here. Real quick note on Denver's special teams. Riley Dixon, a below-average punter, not very good. Kind of up there with Dustin Colquitt and some of the stuff. I know Colquitt's always been referred to as the MVP for years now, but his numbers really aren't very good compared to a lot of others in the NFL. Brandon McManus, also one of the worst. Again, not a very good special teams unit, by the way. Uh, McManus, one of the worst kickers this year. 8 of 13 in field goals, and Isaiah McKenzie, a wide receiver, 11th, a rookie, by the way, 11th in punt and return average yards, so not bad, averaging 9.9 yards per return off of punts. When it comes to turnovers, Denver's got a minus 8 turnover differential, 4th worst in the league, 25th in total giveaways, with 12th, 4th in takeaways, or excuse me, they've got 4 takeaways, all of them being just interceptions, no fumble recoveries whatsoever. So, second week in a row, Kansas City is going to be facing a one-dimensional takeaway team. Last week, it was a Raiders team that could not get interceptions, only fumble recoveries. And now you're facing a, a team that's got four interceptions and no fumble recoveries. And, of course, it's worth noting Alex Smith has yet to throw an interception through seven games this year. The only starting quarterback from week one to play all the way through and not throw an interception up to this point, which is very impressive on itself, for sure. And again, you're facing three great cornerbacks this week. And that's not going to be an easy task for Alex Smith to go through this game without an interception. It's going to be very tough for him to do in this football game. When you look at the matchups and where t- how teams have done, how those areas have done up until this point, I think if you're a fan of either team, you're you're a little nervous. You, you kind of wonder, okay, yes, we've been good in this area, but at, bad in this area, and our opponents are kind of the complete opposite. They could easily take advantage of our weaknesses, or we can take advantage of theirs. This football game is going to come down to which team is going to take advantage of the other team's weakness and... Build on that. So a big part of that also has to do with, and I've said this a couple times now, Trevor Simeon and how he'll do in this football game. And then, of course, a lot of it has to do with Kansas City's defense and how they'll show up against the Broncos' offense. But I think ultimately what this is going to come down to is who's going to outcoach who. If I had to put money between Andy Reid and Vance Joseph, give me Andy Reid 100 times out of 100. So I'll go with Andy Reid as the guy and his coaching staff to outcoach Vance Joseph and Denver's coaching staff. You've got to be able to do everything you can to get through this Denver team. The offense is very weak. And if you can come away by doing damage on that Denver offense, 
I think it's going to be a good day for Kansas City. And I think at the end of the day, you'll see this Chiefs often struggle kind of similarly how they have in the last couple of games. But at the end of the day, this offense will always find a way to start getting things rolling and eventually start putting up points on the board. I've got Kansas City winning in a, in a very close one here. I asked on Facebook. I said, both teams are hungry. Both teams are dealing with two-game losing streaks. Can Kansas City bounce back? And, and there aren't a lot of optimis- optimistic people right now with the Chiefs. So I can understand where that's coming from. Two brutal losses within five days, and you've got 11 days to prepare for this football game. But I think Kansas City can pull it out here. I think, again, like I said, I think the defense will be the team. They'll be better than Denver's offense. As far as Kansas City's offense, I think they'll struggle for a couple of quarters, maybe for the majority of the first half. But at the end of the day, I can see Kansas City get things going, pick up some steam in the second half, and... Not necessarily pull away in this one, but they'll do enough to survive and win. I've got the Chiefs winning in in a fairly low-scoring bout. 17-14, Kansas City wins this football game. Let me know your thoughts on my prediction. Facebook.com slash Farzivasugian. Send me a tweet at Farzine21. Time to wrap up the show. Let's go around the NFL. Don't look now, but the New England Patriots slowly climbing back on top. Some of the slips we've seen across the league, Kansas City unfortunately being one of them. The the New England Patriots, they're starting to pick up steam and play a lot better. Their defense is still atrocious, but they they have found ways to survive and win games. Kind of similar to what Kansas City did last year, except the only difference is... Look, you've got Tom Brady on this team, and when you have him, you can never really discredit this team. Now, the difference with this Patriots team compared to years past, with the exception of the year they won their first Super Bowl, they've gotten off to a really, really slow start, and they have really looked bad on defense, and they've looked bad at times on offense, too. And we haven't seen the uh, the Patriots play like this before, so... Now they're starting to pick up some steam and quietly starting to become one of the better teams in the NFL. Speaking of better teams in the NFL, the best team in the NFL record-wise right now, the Philadelphia Eagles. And look, I've got to say it. I know Chiefs fans may not like to hear this, but right now, this moment, Carson Wentz has probably just passed Alex Smith for the MVP award midway through the season. Carson Wentz has been phenomenal this year, had a great Monday Night Football game. Uh, this past weekend it just looked great uh, the way that he was attacking uh, avoiding defenders just dodging everybody and coming away with all these crazy passes uh, kind of at one point reminded me of Eli Manning on that play where he was looked like he was sacked and somehow he avoids that and when you see him running uh, he's just having a great season Carson Wentz and the Eagles they got off to a great start last year a 3-0 start and then they completely collapsed after that, you've got to hope for the Eagles' sake, especially for a team that's never won a Super Bowl, that this could be their year. Final topic I want to discuss on this segment, Martavius Bryant. I mentioned this story before. The wide receiver for the Pittsburgh Steelers, the disgruntled wide receiver for the Steelers, says he will continue to want out of Pittsburgh if he continues to get limited with his playing time. Head coach Mike Tomlin says he is not available for a trade. Look, uh, we had Max Shepman on the on the show a couple of weeks ago. This has not been a very good season for the Steelers when it just comes to PR. You had the Villanueva drama where he came out for the National Anthem and the other players didn't. 
the the Antonio Brown chaos on the sidelines, him throwing the Gatorade cooler and whatnot. Uh, now this Martavius Bryant issue. Uh, this is this has not been a, a very good season for the Steelers. Why not try to distinguish some of this bad publicity, this distraction, by trading him away? If he doesn't want to be here, look, why are you keeping it? It's almost like you're in a relationship. If your boyfriend or your girlfriend doesn't want to be with you, why make an effort to keep the relationship alive? Let it go. Move on to the next one. And I think the Steelers need to move away from him. They've got Antonio Brown and like Juju Schuster. I mean, they've got to be happy with what they have, even without Martavius Bryant. So I don't understand what's the need, what's the value in keeping him, especially if he does not want to be with the Steelers right now. Let's go out of bounds. Alright, I know it was a Sunday, but no Chiefs football, and I think that gave KU and MU fans a great reason to pack the Sprint Center Sunday afternoon. KU and MU, phenomenal. Great game, came down to the wire, KU pulled away late. More than $2,750,000 raised. That includes a check that was presented for $1.75 million dollars. You had 18,000 pay-per-view buys for this. And this all also, by the way, this excludes ticket prices. Now, during the game, KU and MU fans, they had a chance to kind of go head-to-head and see who, which group of fans could send in the most uh, money through text at the game. And KU won that one. And not that it matters. What matters is fans were raising money for all these hurricane disasters, for relief. So it was great to see both both fan bases come together and do that. And again, more than $2.75 million raised. And that excludes ticket prices. So, great way to bring back the rivalry. Do something for charity. This game was not on the schedule for either team. Now let me say this. I've been to the Sprint Center a few times for sporting events. I've never seen this kind of a game before. You had... M-I-Z-Z-O-U chance on one side, and then you had the Rock Chalk Jayhawk chance on the other side. This was by far one of my favorite things I have witnessed, not just at the Sprint Center, but in any sporting event. I've been to KU-MU football games before. I've never been to a KU-MU basketball game. This is my first time, and I love that it was at the Sprint Center. Listen, I, I said this last week. I'd love to see a three-game rotation where you go to the Sprint Center one year, go to Columbia, and then go to Lawrence, and then continue that cycle in order. But man, some people may not like that. I get it. KU fans, by the way, weren't happy because they felt like this helped MU's program. That's not how I'm looking at it as a Jayhawk. I just see it as, hey, the rivalry's back. K-State's too boring to beat up on, so let's beat up on the Tigers like we used to in the sport. And look, if they do this with football, there is no interest in this because everyone just realistically knows how bad KU football really is. And MU football is not great either, but you know MU will always come through and beat KU in that sport. In this sport, basketball, oh, MU can be pretty competitive when, when it wants to be. And 
they certainly showed some competitiveness in this game. Had a four-point lead at halftime. Speaking of KU football, just a disaster. Lost to Iowa State a couple of weeks ago, 45-0. Lost to TCU, 43-0 with a running clock late in the game because of weather. Uh, Players are decommitting from KU. Uh, It's not good. It's really not. Now, look, I'm not entertaining the notion of firing head coach David Beatty, but at some point you you need to start having discussions with him and let him know his job is... Is not very secure right now. Give him another year and a half. Let him finish this year and next year. Because listen, man, this, this program I mentioned earlier—the glory years of KU football and the Orange Bowl. After that, with how things went really bad with Mangino, and how things just were terrible with Turner Gill and Charlie Wise, you've got to give David Beatty a chance. Here's a tough thing too: David Beatty was a wide receivers coach at Texas A&M. He accepted a head coaching gig before even accepting a coordinator position. So this is a guy who was, who was willing to be the head coach here when not many people wanted to. So it's a pretty tough spot. I think you've got to still give David Beatty some time. The recruiting KU's had a very high recruiting class for 2018. Sadly, that's gone down the drain a little bit with players decommitting. But give David Beatty some time. He's picking up what Charlie Weiss and Turner Gill drilled to the bottom here. Final topic on this segment, a very interesting one. Second week in a row, I'm talking about this website, Barstool Sports. There is a massive story that's taking over the internet right now with sports media in terms of Barstool Sports Van Talk that's been removed from ESPN, which was uh, which was on, if I'm not mistaken, at 1 a.m. Eastern Time, so I think 12 uh, Central Time or midnight Central Time. And it averaged, I think, 80 or the first and only episode on ESPN averaged 88,000 viewers. The now the controversy here is ESPN after one episode has canceled their partnership with Barstool Sports, and there's been a lot of pressure. A lot of this has to do with internal uh, conflict because a lot of people from ESPN are saying, "Hey, why don't we get a show?" And I can kind of relate to this writing for Bleacher Report and also having radio and podcasting experience. When Bleacher Report, you know, when it was announced that they were going to SiriusXM, they were going to have a SiriusXM channel, I reached out to some of the higher-ups at at Bleacher Report. I said, hey, look, I've done all these things. I'd be happy to to help do a radio show. And they said, oh, look, we've got guys set up. And I was confused by this. Once they released their staff, these were guys from NBC Sports, CBS Sports, ESPN, uh, sporting news, all these other media outlets. And I'm thinking, why are you not hiring from within? You've got a lot of great writers, and a lot of them have experience on air. I mean, why is it that you went a different route? So ESPN kind of doing something similar. And listen, ESPN and Barstool Sports are very, very different, the way they go about talking about sports. Whereas ESPN, of course, the professional journalism way of talking about sports. And Barstool Sports is that bro kind of website. I mean, it's really geared for guys. They're always open arms for women to talk, to to read their website and such, but it's geared for guys. It really is. Now, the biggest conflict here has to do with Sam Ponder, who, of course, is married to Christian Ponder, and I guess in years past, there has been some sort of drama with Barstool Sports taking shots at Sam Ponder and Sam Ponder 
wrongly accusing of a certain Barstool Sports employee, Big Cat, uh, for, for a certain uh, comment that he didn't even make. At the end of the day, uh, I, I think what a lot of people are are talking about here, Barstool Sports, I guess they went off how, I guess Sam Ponder isn't a very good TV broadcaster because she doesn't know what she's talking about. She's there because of her looks. And Barstool Sports made a comment saying that people would rather see her naked rather than hear her talk about sports, which is a very inappropriate comment to make about a woman in on TV, especially in sports television. And I don't know exactly what this has to do about, but people are talking about how Sam Ponder has posted photos on her social media where, you know, she's posing in, in some model type photos where she's wearing nearly nothing. And I checked out her Instagram. I noticed it's private all of a sudden, and she has 370,000 followers on there. Uh, she went on kind of a long Twitter rant. She wrote several tweets back to back. Firstly, uh, just mentioning that she wrongly accused Big Cat of these comments and then wrote four tweets saying things like, hey, let me save the researchers some time. I have been immature and unkind at times. Uh, t- talks about uh, be, you know, being gossipy, insecure, prideful, selfish, uh, self-righteous. Uh, I mean, she's admitted to that. And I think people are criticizing her and ESPN saying that they are hip- hypocrites. Barstool Sports claims that, well, first of all, they, they know people within ESPN love Barstool Sports. Now, there's also a claim that people within ESPN are trying to find ways to fire Sam Ponder. So I don't want to get into this too much because I know I've gotten onto this for a while. The bottom line is there's a lot of high school drama going on here. I mean, it's just it's just somebody's not appreciative of one person. And a lot of it has to do with the fact that it's a female working in sports media. And... Barstool Sports has made some comments, and again, I don't know the whole story. I I'm, I can't really speak much because Sam Ponder's Instagram is blocked. I would have or protected rather. I would love to see what kind of photos she's posting. But look, I'll just say this: I know there. I'm friends with a few women, people who I went to high school and college with, who have some modeling gigs, and they they post lots of photos of themselves in these model modeling photos, and. You know, they're in swimsuits. I mean, they're wearing nearly nothing. And I'm not saying this is right. I don't condone any of this. But when you post pictures like that, you risk the fact that people are going to write creepy crap and just say obscure things that are completely uncalled for and inappropriate. And look, we're we're in a world where we have gigs where people can use their looks, their good looks, for... For money, essentially. And look, if that's what people want to pursue, good for them. If they're proud of it, if they're making good money, that's on them. I mean, that's up to them what they want to do. A lot of women... Here's the thing about TV, especially with women. You've got to look good if you want to work in front of a camera. And a lot of women that are in TV broadcasting, a lot of them have modeling gigs as well. Or they have modeled before. Or they've been in pageants before. Look, it's no coincidence I mean, you've got to look good if you want to work in television. And a lot of the people who, or a lot of the women who work in TV, a lot of them have done modeling gigs or currently do modeling. Casey McDonald's a good example, who, of course, was here in Kansas City for a while and, of course, is known for being with Eric Hosmer of the Royals. So it's just, again, I'm not saying this is all okay, but unfortunately, we just live in a society where guys, they see photos 
because they can't get some themselves, if you know what I mean, and they have to comment on, and make all these uncalled for comments, completely inappropriate, completely immature comments, and making women feel immature, and at times making them kind of second guess if they want to continue doing this for a living. So, uh, I don't know who's right, who's wrong here. Uh, I don't think it's fair that Barstool Sports is attacking Sam Ponder. Yeah, sure, maybe she posts certain photos of herself like that, but that that's no reason to attack her. Real quick, final thing. Remember that uh, Jets reporter, that Hispanic reporter, who I guess she was receiving a lot of inappropriate pictures from Brett Favre? She went and did a TV interview, and what she wore did not help her case. I mean, she was, she was revealing some things in her upper chest area. Let's just put it that way, okay? Uh, again, I'm not saying it's okay what Brett Favre did, but when you dress like that on TV, trying to defend yourself and accusing Brett Favre of these things, it's going to be a little hard for people to take you seriously. I mean, it, it just is. You you can't claim that you are disturbed that someone's sending you nude photos and then go on TV and show, reveal almost a lot, almost too much for TV and be taken seriously. You just can't have it both ways. I know this is a controversial topic, a topic with a lot of conflict within. A lot of women, of course, will side with Sam Ponder on this because maybe some of them have have dealt with something like this. Maybe not even if they work in TV or modeling, but maybe just in their own Facebook pictures where they've received inappropriate comments from people before. So, And then, of course, there's the side where ESPN and Sam Ponder are hypocrites. So at the end of the day, typical society... You're never going to find a happy medium. No one can be happy and no one can come to any kind of agreement. But at the end of the day, ESPN canceled their deal with Barstool Sports. Barstool Sports will be just fine. They will. Final segment, let's throw some flags. Robert Alfred of the Atlanta Falcons. What are you doing I mean, look, I get it. It's Gronk, but you can't do this. You play football. There was a play on Sunday Night Football between the Patriots and the Falcons. By the way, the Patriots just flat out destroyed the Falcons. The Falcons couldn't even score until late in the game. At least they didn't blow a 28-3 lead. What else can you say? But regardless, you have Gronk, who is leading, pretty much paving the way for Brandon Cooks and is getting ready to throw a block at Robert Alfred, Alfred sees Gronk coming and just bolts out of bounds, just completely stays out of his way, uh, and pretty much just allows Gronk to go after someone else and allow Brandon Cooks to get into the end zone. Look, uh, I'm no professional player. People are going to say, well, why don't you go out and face Gronk? I'm no pro football player. I'm not getting paid a lot of money for this. Robert Alfred is. Be a man. Try to take him out. And get on the highlights. You may get drilled, but look, I mean, it wouldn't be anything new. You wouldn't be the only one to ever get ran over by Rob Gronkowski. It's not a big deal. But go out there and make an effort. Make an effort. You get paid a lot of money in this sport. Come on now. Oh, Conor McGregor. Uh, This is a controversial one, so a little heads up. Uh, Some people may take this topic... uh, a little sensitive, a little uh, personal, so uh, bear with me here. This is a, this should be a story, though. A lot of Conor McGregor fans saying there, there's no story here. 
that is a big problem, and this is absolutely a story. First of all, Conor McGregor's teammate, Artem Lobov, when the UFC was in Poland over the weekend, he was there to support one of his teammates, and uh, for those who don't know, in MMA, you have licensed cornermen, guys who can be in your corner and they can shout things while you're fighting. And if there's anyone else that's shouting things, they can get in trouble for it. They ha- the referee has the right to eject them from the arena. Conor McGregor, again, not a licensed cornerman. He was just there as a fan, sitting in the stands. He was there and getting a front row seat. He got up and he was actually following the action outside of the cage, outside of the octagon. And the referee stopped the match. Mark Goddard, he stopped the match at one point and said, Hey, mate, I mean, be professional. Keep it down. Come on. So Connor finally stopped doing what he was doing, just ridiculous, unprofessional antics. And then after the fight, Connor followed his teammate Artem and his coaching staff to the locker room because Artem lost the fight. Connor, you Connor said, "Hey, you should have beat that blank." Now that word that he used is the six-letter F word that gay people get offended by. Now look. I, I mean, it's 2017. Uh, The usage of that word has gone down a lot because people understand that's not a good word to use. I'll admit, when I was younger, 10, 15 years ago, I mean, that word was thrown around a lot by me and other people, uh, especially at a young age. I'd say about 10 or 15 years ago, even older adults used that word like it was nothing. And... You, I mean, you look at now. I mean, how often that word is used? Anytime uh, someone attacks a public figure and uses that word, a lot of times you'll see a public figure retweet it and let them know what they did was wrong. And a lot of people come down on them and start attacking them for it. Conor McGregor is a public figure, and here's the problem: Conor McGregor will get away with this. He'll get away with this comment. And the problem is, he's in an industry in combat sports in MMA where. These fighters are constantly in press conferences or during fights or in post-fight uh, speeches. They're saying F you to each other. I mean, they're dropping all kinds of languages. They're talking about their opponent's mother and what they do to, to her. I mean, This is an industry where these guys go off. I mean, you, you talk about what Cam Newton said a couple of weeks ago, what he did responding to a female reporter. If Conor McGregor responds like this... To a female reporter, he gets away with it, as would any MMA fighter, because of the industry that they are in. It's an industry where the fighters are brash towards one another. And look, I, I like the part where they they clash and curse at each other. But certain comments that definitely crosses the line, and this is one of them. For Conor McGregor to make that comment and, and use that word, certainly not okay. Just because he's Conor McGregor and he's brought the UFC so much money and so much entertainment value doesn't mean he has the right to use words like that. It's certainly not acceptable. And uh, look, I think he just didn't realize that cameras were following him, his uh, teammate, and the coaching staff on the way to the, to the locker room. And Connor was, uh, people heard Connor use that word. And you've got to be very careful, especially with Connor. Like, Connor McGregor, he's one of those athletes where if he's just out of McDonald's, everyone wants to know what he's ordering. What kind of condiments does he want? Does he want lettuce on his burger? Does he want does he want it with cheese? Like, I mean, this is the kind of person Connor is. Same thing with, with a guy like Tom Brady or LeBron James, Stephen Curry. 
whoever. I mean, people follow these guys very closely when they can, if they're out in public. And Conor McGregor was out in public, and he said something he should have not never said. And he's he's getting criticized for it by some people. But again, it's not a big story with the with the media because of the industry he is in, and that is combat sports. It's not okay. Again, I don't condone that. And I think he, if if he wanted to use a certain word to attack his opponent, he should have used a different word at least. I don't know. Use uh, use something else. Come on, there are plenty of words out there that you could have used to describe the opponent. That that six-letter F word, certainly uncalled for. I'll tell you what is uncalled for. I forgot to mention this earlier in the podcast. Very important note. Quarterback Steven Nelson has been moved to injured reserve, designated to return. There's a possibility he could return for the Chiefs this week. One important note I forgot to mention on this podcast. So Steven Nelson, who was injured earlier this year in the preseason, actually, he could come back. Andy Reid said he could come back Monday night. The good news, you've got that long break. Hopefully you, you can get an offensive lineman or two back in Mitch Morse or Laurent Duvernay-Tardif. And maybe even Mitch Morse. And maybe that could really help make a difference for Kansas City moving forward. Uh, it would be It would really help the Chiefs a lot, considering how much damage they've dealt with in with the injuries and, and all of that going on, on on both sides of the football. So hopefully we get some good news later on during the week. I'll keep you guys posted on social media. Facebook.com slash Farzian That is my Facebook page. Give it a like. Follow me on Twitter at Farzian21. Email me Farzian at FarzianVasugian.com. Subscribe to the podcast. Share it on social media. Let a friend know about the Chiefs on podcast. Helps the podcast out greatly. And nonetheless, keep in mind, we'll keep the interaction going even though I'll be on vacation this week. Just a reminder, no Facebook Live videos during halftime or after the game. Uh, We'll continue that the following week against the Cowboys. As far as next week's podcast goes, there will be a podcast that will be out on Wednesday. That podcast will be both a recap and a preview podcast, and we'll sell out the segments to close out the show. So keep that in mind. Uh, We'll do all of that and one podcast just simply due to time constraints for me next week because I'll be flying back during Monday Night Football and then of course unpacking and going to work the the next day uh, I'll I'll get the podcast out on Wednesday that way I can focus on uh, on on everything else the rest of the week so I'm sure you guys understand but nonetheless enjoy your weekend enjoy this week's action and enjoy Monday night I'll be in Mexico lovely Cancun, Mexico and I'll watch some of the NFL action from there and hopefully I'll get good service on the flight, good Wi-Fi service at least, to watch the game and hopefully be able to interact with you guys during the game. If for whatever reason there's no Wi-Fi or, the, or just ESPN's not working on the flight, I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm going to have to keep my phone off completely until I get home uh, so I can so I can actually watch without spoiling. I'd love to be able to watch the game. So uh, that itself could be a tall order. Till then, enjoy your weekend. I'll talk to you guys on Wednesday. Take care.